Good morning. Today is the conclusion of our series uh, in the pressure cooker from 1 Peter. And we're going to focus on suffering today. And I've been reminded recently that suffering isn't unique, is not a unique experience to me. It's experienced by many others. And so we're not alone in our suffering. God always walks with us through our suffering. And we're going to finish today with these verses. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you to test and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. And so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you. Who are in Christ. Good morning. Thank you, Kathy, for that reading and that reflection. We are wrapping up our study in the pressure cooker in First Peter here today. Hope it's been an enjoyable and helpful study for you. It's a elegant letter that has so much for us today. It's been helpful for me, and I hope it has been for you also. My name is Adrian. I'm one of the pastors here at Carney E. Free, and great to be with you today. Uh, good morning, brother. Good morning, brothers and sisters. And those watching online, good morning to you as well. Um, you know, Peter wraps up his letter there by saying, greet one another with a holy kiss. I hope the CDC allows us to do that soon, because I'm ready to reinstitute that practice for this church. <laughs> okay. All right. That's not our cultural greeting here. This is one of those times that you see the cultural element of the scriptures, isn't it? As the scripture closes down, you see that there is a cultural element that the Bible was written to a different group of people in a different land, a different nation, a different culture, a different language. And it was first intended for them, in this case, from Rome to what would be modern-day Turkey, but in our case, also intended for us. Here in 2020, Kearney, Nebraska, it's intended for us as well. So we can't wait to greet each other again with a holy kiss as soon as the CDC allows us to do so. Okay, perhaps they'll get back to that in the bilingual ministry here sometime soon. I hope they will be able to do so. It's interesting, you know, like Latin American culture is actually really similar to Hebrew culture in this way. It's not a romantic thing. It's just, uh, hey, I'm going to greet you with love. And this is the way they greet it in Hebrew culture. And this is the way they greet in Latin culture today. And it's different across various nations of the world. My wife is Indian. And when you greet people in her family, you greet with an umma. Who knows what an umma is? Just Susie. Susie, you're supposed to raise your hand now. <laughs> you know what it is, don't you? Do I need to remind you? <laughs> Sorry. All right, come on back. Come on back. All right, and Uma is this. You lean in and you go kind of cheek to cheek and you say, Ma. You take a sniff of each other. Should we try it together? 
All right, we won't try it together. But they can't greet with a holy Uma now. And we can't greet with a holy hug and a holy handshake or a holy high five. All we can do is kind of a Japanese, I greet you with a holy bow from six feet away. And we can do that too. Um, but I look forward to the day that we can greet each other the way we want to. Um, all of that to say, there is this cultural element that you see there. But what's the kernel of truth? What's the kernel that you see in Peter's final words for his church? Greet each other with love. That's the kernel. Like, be intentional about it. Across all of our similarities and all of our differences in this room, I pray that when you come here on Sunday morning, and I pray especially if you're a newcomer here today, that as you came in today, someone intentionally greeted you with love. And that as you go from this place, someone else would intentionally greet you and bless you and thank you for coming with love. We believe here. We say every person matters. And that's what Peter's getting at here. No matter who you are, you matter so much to God. You matter so much to us. And so we greet each other with an intentional act of love. We actually mean it. Peter uh, closes out his letter in much the same way, if you might remember, he opened up his letter. Here at the end, verses 10 and 11, which will be kind of our key text today, he says, uh, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, he will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. It's a word of hope that after you go through this time of suffering, whatever it might be, God himself will restore you and make you strong once again. Uh, he said much the same thing at the very start of the letter, if you want to open up to 1 Peter with me. And you look at the very first words of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 3, back in the very first message of this series, uh, 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4, we said this, we, we read Peter's words, and he opens up his letter to his churches in Turkey, the scattered churches in Turkey, by saying this, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade, but is kept in heaven for you. Man, what a word that is. Do you know today, you raise your hand with me, if you know today that you have a living hope. Do you have a living hope today? Like We don't have a dead hope. We don't have a hope that perishes or spoils or fades. We don't have a hope that can be voted out of office. We don't have a hope that can be swayed by popular opinion. We don't have a hope that is based on our successes or our failures, our frustrations or our triumphs. We don't have a hope that can be lost because of our failures. We don't have the kind of hope that is a wishy-washy feeling. I kind of wish that things would get better. No, our hope that Peter is saying here is based on the fact of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Because he rose from the dead, we have a hope that is situated in heaven for us that can't be threatened by coronavirus, that can't be taken away by death, that can't be taken away by any loss of health. It can never perish or spoil or fade. It's a living hope. I'm so grateful for this. It's been said that, that we humans can live 
40 days without food. And we can live four days without water. And we can actually live four minutes without air. But we can't live much more than four seconds without hope, can we? We just can't. It's like the most precious commodity that we know that we need. And so Peter, again, to suffering, persecuted, exiled Christians back then, and to oftentimes suffering, ordinary, frustrated Christians today, he says, we have a living hope and we can count on that. And what I want to tell you here today is that this living hope is what would give us strength. It's the living hope of Christ that would give us strength. It's the living hope of Christ that would give us joy. It's the living hope of Christ over time that actually makes us distinct from our neighbors all around us. If you're taking notes here though this morning, I encourage you to write this down. You'll see it up on the screen. Living hope in the midst of suffering is what makes simple Christians like you and me shine. Okay, that's all we are. And we gotta embrace that. There ain't no superstars in this room, right? There ain't no superstars in this room. We're all just ordinary, simple, plain Christians who are seeking to follow Christ with what we have, and we don't have a lot, but we bring what we have to him. And then he gives us his hope with our ordinary self through the dailies of life, and then we go through suffering, and as we go through suffering with this living hope that doesn't fade away, eventually people take notice, and it makes us shine it's this living hope in spite of suffering that makes us like a city on a hill. Like, do you understand that when the Bible calls us a city on a hill, it's not talking about a city. It's not talking about a nation. It's not talking about a state. It's talking about us. It's talking about the church. We are the city on the hill. We are the light of the world. And how would we be the light of the world? It's this. We have living hope in spite of suffering. Ordinary as we may be, Living hope, in spite of suffering, we shine. Peter talks about this again just a couple chapters later. If you flip over to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, he actually presumes that people are going to see this and they're going to be amazed by it, and so they're going to ask. It says, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. That means set apart Christ as Lord. Set him apart as the first and the most important, the primary thing in your life. Christ, number one, everything else, number two, three, four, down the list, fall from him. He is the main thing. Everything else falls underneath that. Set apart Christ. Revere Christ as Lord. And then it says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this at all times with gentleness and respect to whoever might ask. Now the assumption there is that people will ask, right? That's the assumption. Is that happening for you? This is the assumption. That simple, ordinary Christians like us would shine in such a way through our suffering that people would say there is something different about her. What's going on with her? I want to know more. Where does she get this hope from? And it's in that moment, though, that we're able to speak to them that I did not put my hope in the first place in my 401K. And so, yes, it is taking wings right now. Maybe yours is too. But that's okay because I didn't put my hope in that. And no, I didn't put my hope in my health. And my health comes and my health goes, but that's not where my hope lasts. 
That's not where it resides. And I didn't put my hope in wealth. Again, it's going to come and it's going to go. And I see that you also lost your job like I lost my job. Or I see that you had to downsize your business and you had to lay some people off. And what a terrible experience that is to have to do something like that. Or I see that you have lost something very precious to you and your health has also been threatened or you've gone through something difficult in a relationship well, with your family and yet even so, in spite of the fact that you are going through all the same things that I go through as someone who's outside the family of God, you have something that I don't have. It's called hope. How? Tell me about it. Tell me about it, please. Because I want what you have. And it's in that moment that we would just say, my friend, I didn't put my hope in my job. I did not put my hope in my status. I did not put my hope in my 401k. I didn't put my hope in my health. I put my hope in something that I knew would last much longer than all of those. And when you have that, people take notice and you shine. I, I wasn't raised in the church. I, I've had to learn to put my hope in Christ. And as I've realized that it's so much more stable and so much better than anything else, I've had this experience that people come to me and they say, how? This is the presumption of the scriptures, that when we go through the same thing that everyone else all around us goes through, the rain pours on the righteous and the unrighteous alike, right? Those in the family of God are going to get rain too, okay? But when we respond with abiding hope, it looks a little different. Living hope is based on what you put your trust in. What do we put our trust in? Peter is trying to drive home for us as he concludes his message. Do you remember this three-legged stool that I took out, this four-legged, three-legged stool? This three-legged stool that I took out about six months ago. We were in our Dangerous Prayer series, and we were talking about the disciple by the name of Stephen who became the very first martyr of the Christian church and pulled this out. We talked about the things that we trust in. Do you remember this stool? Hum, humor me, please, somebody. Okay. Okay, I see nobody remembers it. I am sufficiently humbled. <laughs> now, I don't expect you to remember messages from six months ago. I don't either. But we talked about um, this fact that the that, that, uh, Stephen was preaching to the Jewish leaders of the day in Acts chapter 7. And he's talking to them about the fact that they were incredibly blessed by God. There were these Israelite leaders who had the extraordinary blessings of God. And they began to trust in the blessings that God had given them. And in Acts chapter 7, you, know, you can go back and read it again. He is um, speaking to the Jewish leaders and saying, you trusted in the land that God gave you, the land of Israel. And what a great blessing it is. The fertile land of Israel. And you trusted in that. And you trusted in the temple that God gave you and what incredible blessing it was. You were able to go into that temple and meet especially with God. What a gift he gave you. And you trusted in the law of Moses that he gave to you. That God gave the law of Moses to the people of Israel. That it wouldn't stop with the people of Israel but they would be a conduit of the law to go out to others. That God blessed the people of Israel that they'd be a blessing to others. And what great blessings that they had been given. 
And Stephen is, is giving this message to the Hebrew leaders, and they're saying, yes, amen, to all that you're saying. Yes, we received all these blessings from God. And then uh, Stephen lowers the hammer. He says, the problem is you missed the giver of the gifts. You missed the giver of the gifts. God gave you land and law and temple, but you mistook those gifts for the one who gave those gifts to you. And unfortunately, what's begun to happen to you, Peter says to these Jewish leaders of the day, is you are worshiping these things that are merely gifts from the giver, and you miss Jesus Christ, who is the giver of them in the first place. And so what he's driving at is a critical idea for us as well today that we would pause and we would say, man, I've been so blessed by God in so many areas God, would you please prevent me from mistaking the gifts for the giver? And God, would you please prevent me from putting my trust in the wonderful gifts that you've given? And so I just suggested a few months ago when giving this message, something I'd like to remind you of, that here in the United States, we have a tendency to put our trust in different things than land and law and temple. We have a tendency to put our trust in a different three-legged stool of health. I got my health, and what a blessing it is from God. And America's a pretty healthy nation compared to most. Not as healthy as some, but much more so than most. And we give thanks for our health. And I got my wealth. And Lord knows we live in the most prosperous nation in all of history right now. And I got my wealth, and I thank you, Father, for that, God. And I got my independence, and Lord knows we live in the most independent nation with the most beautiful founding documents that ensure the, this, this wonderful independence the, that we have. We got our health and our wealth and our, our liberty, our sense of independence, Father, from these. And these are all wonderful blessings, Father, from God. But I don't know about you. I've noticed in myself over the course of 2020, it's become really easy for me to trust in those and sit down in these rather than sit down on Christ, the giver of these gifts. And what I want to tell you is that life has room for only one God. It's got room for only one God. And each of these things can easily become God for us. And I think one of the blessings of 2020 that I've noticed is this. God has been removing these things from our lives. And we might not see that as a blessing for us right now, but it is a blessing in so much as by removing these things from our lives is at least one of these has been lost from almost all of our lives here in this room. As he's removed them, we realize these are not worthy of my trust. And God's begun to tip over the stool to remind us that life has room for only one God. The heart has room for only one God. And these are not big enough uh, for us to put our trust in. There was a reformer by the name of John Calvin who 500 years ago said this, the human heart is like an idle factory. You can make an idol out of almost anything. Now, I just 
illustrated the top three in the United States of America with all of our prosperity and our health and our independence, but there could be others for you. We can make an idol out of almost anything, and any good thing that becomes the main thing ceases to be a good thing anymore. It loses its ability to bless you if it becomes the main thing. And so I'm not saying that God has brought about the coronavirus and the economic recession that has come with it or all the other things that we've dealt with in 2020. That's way above my pay grade. I really don't speculate on such things. But I do know this. God in his sovereignty has allowed it. And I do know this. He does not want us to waste this time of suffering. And I pray for you as we emerge out of this series of the pressure cooker and as we move into what I hope would be better days in 2021, you will not lose the blessing of 2020 with the pressure cooker that has been in which God would invite us to greater degrees of trust in him even through this time of suffering though, that we are going through. Suffering is the time for us to grow gradually in our trust in God as we learn to sit to rest, to trust in him alone. And so my friends, to the extent that I have lost some of my sense of control, some of my independence, some of my health, some of my false belief that I can control things, then praise God. That's a grace of God to the extent that I've lost some of that if God would use that to redirect my heart more and more toward him. Because those things can't deliver. They won't satisfy, they will be taken away. And the simple truth is, God has created a vacuum in our hearts that can only be filled by him. And we will look for all different kinds of other ways to fill that vacuum, but only God is intended to satisfy that God-sized vacuum in our hearts. Here's what will satisfy. Here's the living hope that he would give to us. Look again in your Bible at chapter five, verses 10 through 11, and this beautiful benediction that Peter gives to his church as he's wrapping up. Again, throughout this series, well, we've been doing these soap notes, and as I've done my own soap note on this passage, here's some of the observations though, that I came to in this passage. Look at verses 10 to 11. You'll see a number of lines underlined on the screen that you might do in your own Bible as well. It says this, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be honor and power forever and ever. Amen. And so these words, these are the words that I underlined in my own study of this passage last week. The God of all grace. Like he's the one that gives all favor to us. And God in his kindness has placed his favor upon you the moment you trusted your life to Christ, the moment you acknowledged him as Lord and Savior, he put his grace upon you and he said, you are adopted into my family, you are now a daughter of God, you are now a son of God, I put my pleasure upon you, my favor upon you. That's how he feels about you. And from that he says, I call you to my eternal glory. We've been called to an eternal paradise through the death and resurrection of Christ. And so, yeah, we suffer a bit right now, but eternal glory is mine. 
And then it says, after you have suffered, how long? What does it say? Just a little while. Just a little while. Okay, we, we remind ourselves of this. Jesus, the Son of God, in all caps, suffered more than we ever will. Will we not, sons and daughters of God, in lowercase letters, that's what we are, will we not also suffer if we follow him? Of course we will. But how long? Just a little while. Just a little while. Now some of you are like, well, that's malarkey, Adrian. I ain't having it. This hasn't been a little while. I, I get that. Like, historians are going to look back at 2020, and sometime history books will be written in which they actually reveal to us that 2020 was 14 years. Okay? Like, we may think it's only a year. It's been 14 long years. Okay, it, it doesn't feel like one year, does it? It hasn't been a little while. But compared to eternity, come on, it's a little while. It's a little while. And he himself, he will restore us. And he'll make us strong and firm and steadfast again. Here's the big idea that I hope you'll take home today. Up on the screen. Let's read it out loud together. It says this. Join me. I am called to paradise someday and I am called to restoration soon. Say this with me again. I am called to paradise someday and I am called to restoration soon. These two wonderful callings fall from God. He invites us to these. We pick up the phone and say, yes, please, God, I'll take that. We're called to paradise someday. And if you embrace Jesus Christ as your Savior, that he died for you, for all of your sins and failures, free of charge, he places his favor upon you, he gives you his forgiveness, you give him your sin. And then he gives you eternal life in exchange. And that will be yours someday. So get right with God. If you're not yet right with God, if you haven't actually bent your knee to God, today is the day to do that. He calls you to eternal glory someday, and he calls you to restoration soon. Oh, man, that's such good news. This is written in the present tense, that the God of all grace will restore us and make us strong, firm, and steadfast someday soon. And I pray that you would believe this. It's not just speaking about eternity here. Peter shifts, and he speaks about the present day. God will restore us to beauty and strength someday soon. So I, I just want to ask you as I wrap up here in a couple moments, what do you want God to restore in your life? Not to bring it back to normal. Normal's not enough. Bring it beyond normal. Bring it to kingdom opportunity. Like there can be an idolatry about I just want things to go back to normal. Ugh. Don't go back to normal. Back when it was normal, were we advancing for the kingdom of God? No, we don't want normal. We want more advance for the kingdom of God, don't we? Okay, when, when Brad or one of my other brothers or sisters in this room, when they go in and they restore a house, they don't bring it back to ordinary. They bring it back to way better than ordinary. When an artist restores an old painting, they don't want to just get the dust off. 
They want to restore some luster to it, bring a new shine to it. They want to make it better than it was. What do you want God to restore in your life that it would be better than it was nine months ago, even as he has removed some of the things that you have trusted in? I've been praying about that in my own life. And I've realized that I've lost some things in 2020 that make me less at ease within myself. And so I've been asking God to restore some things to my life. I've gone through the same things though that you have, the fears, the anxieties throughout this year. I've had some family health issues, particularly with my beloved father over this past year that have been very intense for me, and there's been the leadership challenges that many of you have gone through that I also have gone through, and through it all in 2020, it's just felt like one never-ending, intense, thick year. And in the process, I feel like I have lost my sense of humor. To which some of you are like, you never had a sense of humor in the first place, Adrian. (laughs) Well, you have the right to be wrong. I think I did. And so I'm praying that God would bring it back. And I'm praying specifically that God would allow me to be at ease within myself again. Because I've kind of lost it. That God would allow me to be light on my feet and easy with me and easy with others again and not always take everything so stinking seriously because there's joy in the kingdom of God. And so I've just been begging God of that and as I was reflecting and meditating on this passage last week, just asking God for the ability to laugh at myself and laugh with others again, I wrote in my journal these words, God, will you please restore me through the frustration of this past year? I put my trust in you. No matter what happens with health and independence, I trust in you. Would you restore my sense of humor? Would you restore a sense of being at ease within myself and with others? Even as independence and my sense of control has dried up. Anybody else? Okay, like if you thought you had control before 2020, you now know that you didn't. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. That he would knock over the illusion. That's all it is. It's an illusion of having control. He's done that for me and I thank him for it because it facilitates a greater level of trust in the only one who has control. So even as my independence and my sense of control has dried up, would you help me, oh God, to laugh again in the hope of Christ? Help me to lighten up. Amen. What is it that you're hoping God would restore in you? Please don't leave 1 Peter without reflecting on that. What do you want God to restore in you through this pressure cooker? The worst thing you can do as we leave 1 Peter is just to move on to the next study. Take some time. Reflect upon what you have learned. Go back through your soap notes. And consider, I would encourage you to consider, right now and this evening and this week, these two application questions on the screen. And as you look at these two questions, I want to invite our band to come forward right now and just consider these two questions as we wrap up this morning. How have I trusted in something that will not last? My control.
my sense of independence, my health, my wealth, whatever it might be for you. Would you invite God to kick it over? How have I trusted in something that just won't last? And then second, God, how do you want to restore me through this time of suffering? I don't want to be the same. I want to be better. I want to be more useful for your kingdom. What is it that you want God to restore in you such that you'd be more useful for his kingdom than you were at the beginning of this year? What is it that you are begging that God would restore in you, that you've gone through some kind of pain and you're asking that through this suffering, remember that's what Peter says, through the instrument of suffering, God will persevere you. God will build character. God will build hope. What is it that he would restore in you? I just want to encourage you to take a few moments and and journal on that and pray about it and connect with your spouse, your life group, and process it together. The way that we learn, the way that we grow is by reflecting together on what we learn. If we receive it and then we just say, well, that was a nice 40 minutes, and then we're done. We don't change. It's reflected experience that brings about change in our lives. Friends, you have a living hope in an eternal glory that is a rock-solid foundation through the historical fact of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for you. It's not a wishy-washy thing. It's a historical fact. He rose from the grave, and therefore you have hope. We trust in that. We trust that God and his goodness will restore us even during our days here on earth to something better for his kingdom and for our family's good and for those around us. And so we say together, as Peter concludes, to God be all glory, to God be all honor, to God be all power. His name alone be glorified in my plain, ordinary, simple life that I might shine, that you might shine with living hope which this world so desperately needs. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm so grateful that you don't call us just to eke it out through this world. You don't humble us just for the sake of humiliation. You humble us that you would be more exalted even through us. You humble us in order to change us. And Father, right now, I just, I just trust that perhaps there's someone in this room, I believe there's someone in this room right now who has experienced a conviction from the Holy Spirit that they've trusted in something that doesn't last. And it doesn't mean that you're not a Christian, if that's true for you. It just means that our hearts are idle factories. And if we're not careful, we will start to trust in things that are less than God. And if that's true for you right now, I wonder if you would just confess that to God quietly. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or anything. Just confess that to God. I've trusted in things that don't last. And I'm sorry for that, God. Thank you, God, that we can just admit that to you and you, you forgive us of that. 
and you begin to work in us, you begin to change us, and you reorient us toward true north where we would trust in you alone. And Father, at the same time, we're, we're longing for restoration. I want my sense of humor back. I wonder if there's something that you want back that you've lost, that perhaps God would make it better, God would give you an, a sense of ease on your feet again, that God would give you a lightness with certain family members, that God would give you a deeper trust in him. Is there something like that for you right now? Just acknowledge that to him. Oh, gracious Father, we admit to you that these days are sometimes long, but you are the only wise, strong, and loving God. And so we trust all of our anxieties, all of our frustrations, all of our losses into your powerful hands. We pray that you would increase in our lives, that we would decrease, you would become greater. May it be in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's leave these two questions up on the screen here for a minute. And let's ask the band to play in the background as you meditate on those. Perhaps you'd want to write down a few thoughts right now. But look at these couple questions, and after a moment of reflecting on them, we'll ask Matt and the team to lead us as we wrap up our time together.